Um, hi everyone, I'm Barak. Hi, I'm Nandita. Um, and welcome, thanks for joining us. So today we're going to be talking about this is the knowledge cardiology knowledge video uh, for people applying for IMT. So today we're going to be talking about chest pain, which is obviously a very common uh, clinical scenario that can come up. And it's very, very important that you have a baseline knowledge uh, of how to approach a chest pain history, which is one, as you'll see, one of the most important things, and then have a fair knowledge of how to deal with the different types of uh, emergencies or diagnoses that can come out of chest pain. Um, and we're going to do this obviously with a cardiology slant. So we're not going to talk about the other alternative causes uh, of chest pain too much in terms of the management of, because this is more cardiology focused. So the way we'll structure this is we'll go through uh, the history, which is very, very important in chest pain. Um, and then we'll go through examination, the investigations you want, uh, investigation you want to do both bedside and other, um, and then a bit about the management of the different types of uh, diagnosis that come out of chest pain. Great, well, over to uh, Nandita, who's uh, a fantastic IMT over at Tommy's. Great, so I'm just gonna go through, as Balric said, uh, how to approach a patient with chest pain. Uh, so we'll start with a brief history and how I would approach it. Um, so using Socrates, obviously, which is, as you may know already, a uh, uh, useful mnemonic to approach anyone with pain. Um, so I would approach the patient and then try and identify using the Socrates approach, which is quite helpful, where the site of the pain was. So is it central in the middle of the chest? Is it, uh, does it radiate to the shoulders? Is it, did it start in the jaw or in the, in the scalp and the, um, in their neck? And it's better to often let the patient uh, offer this yourself before guiding them to, sort of before prompting them to tell you where the pain was. Um, so once we've established the site, uh, you know, central, unilateral, bilateral, you go on to onset. And the onset's probably quite important here um, when assessing a patient with chronic chest pain or acute chest pain. You want to really be able to pinpoint when the pain first started. Uh, whether it was in the last hour, in the last 24 hours, sort of seven days ago. So try and really push the patient to try and remember when the pain started and kind of press that it's quite important. I think once they, I often divert a little bit from the Socrates um, Socrates format here when I ask them to pinpoint when the pain first starts. Then I ask them, I kind of try to get a history of when, how long the pain's been going on for actually. So more chronic onset. Um, so when, if they tell me the pain started yesterday and you know, before I ask them any more about the pain, I try and say, have you had pain like this before? Just to be able to contextualize in my mind going forward, whether it's a more of a chronic subacute history or whether it's something quite acute onset and I need to be a bit more worried possibly in that scenario. Um, so that's uh, sight, so we've done sight onset. So then we go into character. So I like to, again, um, it's difficult to not prompt people with this because patients often really struggle to describe the character of their pain. But I, feel, I find that if you let them, if you give them a few minutes to really think about it and to um, offer some suggestions on their own, it can be quite helpful and telling. Uh, phrases patients will often use, as I'm sure everyone's encountered, are you know, like a weight in the middle of my chest or someone standing on my chest for more cardiac chest pain. Uh, pleuritic chest pain, people can often say that, you know, use the term as like a knife, uh, stabbing in my sides, etc. So I think patients often tend to use metaphors for things that they can kind of imagine um, to describe the pain. And then once you've established that, I think it's nice to maybe offer some words as well and try and, you know, confirm if that's the kind of pain they mean. Is it dull? Is it crushing? Um, is it stabbing? Is it, you know, kind of what, it's a pinching type of pain? What does it really feel like? 
Um, then we go on to radiation. Sometimes they touch on radiation already when we talk about uh, site, but I like to then confirm, did it radiate? I ask quite focused questions here. Did it radiate to your arms? Did it radiate to your shoulders? Um, you know, did it radiate to the back of your head or to your jaw? Um, and that's usually a quite quick part of the history. Um, and then uh, what's A? I forgot what A is. <laughs> uh, allevi alleviating. So I was oh, thinking alleviating. Oh. alleviating factors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I think it's associated factors, actually. Associated so, factors, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Um, so then associated factors, I also ask a very focused history. So I ask, uh, you know, did you have any sweating? Did you have any nausea or vomiting with it? Um, did you have any, and I use this to kind of ask about some other cardiac symptoms. Did you have any shortness of breath at the time? Did you palpitations and did you feel lightheaded? And often you can go back to those later on as well, but it's nice to know if that any of that was associated with the pain at the time as well. Um, and then, so then we have uh, T, um, which is timing as well, I think. Uh, so then we go on to, you know, yeah, as in how long did the pain last when it came on? How long did any of the other symptoms last? Sometimes patients will say the pain was fleeting and then they felt uh, quite sweaty for an hour or felt quite nauseous for an hour after that. The timing of the various symptoms can vary in how they relate to each other, but it's nice to get an idea of what the timing of the entire episode was and how long each symptom lasted for. Um, and then exacerbating factors, uh, I think it's nice to then use that to kind of pinpoint your what you think the diagnosis might be in this early stage anyway. So categorically, was it worse on exertion when you tried to walk about, if you did walk about? Um, is it relieved when sitting forwards? Because that might get you to think a bit more about pericarditic type of pain. Is it worse? Sort of, is it worse when you take a big deep breath in, thinking more about pleuritic type of pain or sort of non-cardiac causes as well? Um, and then something I forgot to say, sorry, is with the onset as well. When you're talking about timing and onset, again, there it's really important to pinpoint whether it's on exertion or at rest, because that will also determine a lot of your management going forward. Yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think that's most of it in terms of Socrates, at least in the first kind of screening yeah. in terms of pain. I think that's, that, that's incredibly comprehensive. I think the before we even move on to the re rest of the history that you might want to then gather from this patient if you're presented with a chest pain uh, history, just a few things to draw out there. Obviously, in an interview, we won't have all the time to go through uh, Socrates, but it was really important to have that kind of depth of knowledge that Nandita has just gone through. So you can pick on certain parts uh, and you need to show the interviewer that you have a a thorough approach um, and a thorough and a structured approach. So you, it's very, very valid to say something along, along the lines of, I would take a thorough chest pain history uh, using a Socrates approach, thinking about all the, all the possible cardiac differentials and respiratory differentials and other systems that could be involved here, something like that. And then I think really important things, I'm just going to tease out a few of the things that Nandita talked about. So I'd say something like, when the, I'd like to understand when the when the pain started, whether this kind of pain has been an issue before, and um, importantly, where it is, where it's radiating to, because that gives big clues. And if you can say say simple things, so what Nandisa has been talking about is, you know, radiation to the jaw, to the left arm, which are very classical for ischemic pain. And then you can say to understand whether it's uh, where it is and whether it radiates to the uh, jaw or neck or whether it radiates through to the back. And that already shows the interviewer that you're a candidate that knows the difference between radiation to the jaw is angina and radiation to the back is sign of an aortic dissection. And these are things that you need to be getting across to the examiner that you appreciate. Um, and yeah, the, the most important thing, I think with cardiac, with, with chest pain to understand whether it's cardiac is to understand whether there's any association with exercise, and whether it's relieved with rest 
and whether they use any things like GTN spray. Other things to say is, does lying down make it better or worse? And that shows the examiner that you're thinking of pericarditic uh, pain. And again, I think it's not unfair to actually spell this out. You, know, you might say, I want to understand if there's any exacerbating factors. Is it better on exertion? Is it worse on exertion? Better with, re better with rest or GTN spray, which points towards ischemia? Uh, or is this actually a pain that's sharper and better lying flat, uh, which is more pericarditic? You can say that. You don't need to hold back your differentials that you're looking for uh, because the whole point of this interview is that you have a very short amount of time to try and get across the things that you know. And, you know, by going going through all these uh, knowledge videos, you have a fair idea of all the different uh, differentials that can be going on. Um, one or two words I think are quite nice. Uh, diaphoresis. Um, we'll cover this more in our glossary, but essentially it just means sweating. And it's quite typically uh, used to describe the sweatiness in the red flushed face that's quite common with ischemic pain. Um, so if you can use buzzwords like oh, any any associated diaphoresis or, sh or shortness of breath, I think you're already on to a winner. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's, I think there's the most important things to pull out of the yeah. history. Um, I suppose you know, severity, I suppose, but actually, yeah. but actually it's, it's less of a, severity is fine, but I think in terms of how you might want to give them pain relief, and I think that is important. But in terms of teasing out the diagnosis, uh, it's actually more the other nuances in terms of the things we've just discussed. Yes, so I was trying to remember what the S was in Socrates as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I guess, yeah, that is something I kind of tag on at the end usually. And it's just usually to like add in my notes and start with, you know, try and obviously give them pain relief accordingly. But I guess severity, it can be quite nice. Um, I find it quite helpful when they say it was nine out of 10 to begin with. And then with GTN, it became three out of 10. Yes. That can be quite helpful to show the sort of temporal change in it. On its own, it doesn't really offer much in terms of, you know, what kind of diagnosis it is, because as we know, ischemic pain can be the same as the same severity as pericarditic pain or pain from myocarditis or anything like that. So I wouldn't rely too much on the severity just for that. But it's nice to have established the change over time. I think after the after the Socrates, after this sort of initial onset, I think it's quite nice to establish from an early stage. Um, I usually try and ask the patient what the normal exercise tolerance is like. Before so, before, before we go on from uh, severity, I think actually what Nandita said there is actually really important. And actually you can, again, show that. You can say it. I'd like to know the severity now, uh, understand whether it's changed with anything they've done, like GTN spray, also to give me a benchmark of how this pain might change through our management of the patient. And that's already shown that you're performing it far above the level of an IMT, or even uh, you're really performing the level of a registrar there, which is really, really impressive. Yeah, and it might also be nice in the interview setting if they do offer you, um, if in the simulation they offer you a response, oh, the patient has 10 out of 10 pain. It might be show that you're quite, you know, think quite considerate as a doctor, obviously, to say, oh, at this point, I'd like to think about offering the patient some pain relief or asking one of my colleagues to get the patient some pain relief just before you proceed with the consultation. Because obviously, if someone is writhing around in 10 out of 10 pain, you know, asking them about their family history from two generations ago is going to be quite difficult for them. So it's yeah. nice. I think it's just a quick line just to say, you know, I'd consider some analgesia at this point. Yeah. Um, never hurts so, so it's a good point to consider yeah no perfect uh go on, so Nandi, sorry i interrupted you were saying about no, uh, okay. uh, functional status yeah so i think i think with, with the chest pain especially if it sounds like it's ischemic pain but even if even otherwise i like to kind of establish how what the patient's normal functional status is like and how how much they can exercise um without pain so i kind of the usual question is you know do you do regular exercise and then they may say yes and then they'll tell you about all the 
you know, different exercises that they do, that can be quite reassuring in itself. And you can just confirm quickly and you never have pain during these episodes. And they may say yes, or they may say no, and you can base the rest of your questions based on that. Some patients don't really know how to answer the question about exercise um, as easily. They may not do any formal exercise, but they may still be quite active. So I think it's nice to tease that out. So then you can kind of tailor it to obviously their, you know, their age and their functional status and from the end of the bed, what they look like as well. Yeah. You can kind of probe them a little bit further. Uh, popular questions that everyone asks are, could you run for a bus? Could you go up several flights of stairs? Uh, could you, you know, walk down to the end of the road or walk up a hill, for example? they'll answer differently based on what they can and can't do based on that and you can kind of ask them a few more probing questions along that direction to try and establish can they exercise regularly and then if they can't is it chest pain that limits them when they stop in the exercise or is it shortness of breath and does that pain is that pain similar to what the pain is that they've come in with too i find that really helpful as well um patients often may struggle to describe you know have the correct words or words that not correct but the words that we're familiar with to describe pain but what they can do quite well is recall whether previous episodes of pain are similar to this current episode of pain. I think obviously they're the ones having the pain and that's the good thing to go off of. So. But, I mean, but the beauty of the situation here is that you're in an interview situation, so there's not going to be any ambiguity. So just having one a one line say, I'd like to, after this, understand the patient's functional status and, you know, what 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 they can do in terms of running for a bus and climbing a flight of stairs. Uh, and also that's important for thinking about the management options I could with, that might be appropriate for them. Yeah, absolutely. Done. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. And just tick the box right there, which is good. Yeah. Um, and then I would just, again, you know, you're in an interview, so you can just ask, say that you'd very quickly want to, you may have already addressed it before, but just I'd like to ask about other cardiac symptoms. So, and then just go through them again briefly. It's just reiterates in the mind of the examiners that you know what they are. Um, so the ones we go for usually are shortness of breath, uh, paroxysmal nocturnal dyspnea, which is something we'll go over in a different video later. Um, but essentially do they wake up at night feeling breathless uh sort of in the middle of the night gasping for breath and that's the kind of uh that's the example i usually use for patients any orthopnea so do they have trouble with breathing when lying flat and then how many pillows do they need to make themselves comfortable um it may be that some people often get misled by this people sometimes patients say oh, i sleep with two pillows and then someone will say oh they've got two pillow orthopnea but you have to actually tease out you know is it because they cannot lie flat and they become breathless when they lie flat have they been just sleeping on two pillows their whole life or is this something that's increased over time recently because they've been more and more breathless uh, and then other symptoms palpitations pre-syncope or syncope i would ask the patient have you ever felt dizzy or lightheaded or lost consciousness at any point do you ever feel your heart racing um, and finally, just, I mean, you can look at your legs, at their legs at the same time, but do you have any swelling of the legs or swelling of the ankles, which is always helpful. And I think it's, what's really nice, those, those are, I think you've covered all the key symptoms you need to ask about. Um, but I think it's also really important to, well, it's really nice if someone can group those symptoms. So you could say something like, I think about other cardiac pathologies that could be contributing to chest pain. So I'd ask about heart failure symptoms, yeah. such as PND, orthopnea, leg swelling. Uh, I then also ask about um, any other worrying symptoms of presyncope or syncope, um, because this this could uh, indicate something like aortic stenosis um, or an arrhythmic problem, and then palpitations, for example. Um, yeah, and I just want to uh, caveat all of this by saying that in your chest pain history, you do need to at least spend a few sentences, uh, well, a little bit of time. Uh, understanding and making the interviewer appreciate that there are other non-cardiac uh, yeah. pathologies so then 
it might be worthwhile to not only we can talk about this now, but I was gonna say it might be worthwhile saying something lines of I'd also once I've taken a pet chest pain history and understand associated symptoms, and thinking about other pathologies, whether they've got any other respiratory symptoms or um gas uh, or uh, gastric gastric symptoms uh, that could actually be the cause of their pain, whether they've got any associated jaundice or uh, you know recent states. So now you're really starting to talk about your systems review, but you don't need to, and you won't have time to go through a whole systems review to the interviewer. So some all encompassing status statement and you need to practice and practice this but something along the lines of i'll take a history i'll also take a history think about others other uh other systems such as respiratory uh issues and any other respiratory symptoms they're getting uh gastric gastric symptoms such as any change in bowel habit change in bowel color jaundice vomiting uh you know, and that just shows the examiner that you're thinking about other things and also will pull up for you just in case this is a chest pain history and they're actually going to take you somewhere completely different but they'll give you those answers uh, so you can move in that direction let's say if this is for example a, a pneumothorax they'll point you towards that direction because you ask about other respiratory symptoms and risk factors yeah absolutely and so i mean it's a good you know i think people a lot of patients will say they're breathless um and you'll start to go down the heart earlier cardiac kind of route but actually you turn it turns out they've got an extensive smoking history uh, and they've got cough productive white sputum every day for 20 years and then it kind of puts you back on the right track which is helpful so, so i think some of the best candidates we've seen always kind of start off with a statement saying yeah i would take a wide-ranging approach understanding there's a number of different systems that could be contributing to their symptoms such as you know, and then you can say like cardiac respiratory or gastric uh, could all cause these problems so i take a, a very uh I, I take a wide history um but for example, focusing on the chest pain, which is the main issue they've come in with today. And then you can go down your Socrates, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing of note that can come out in the systemic uh, history, which could be related to a cardiac cause as well, is if you think they've got pericarditis or myocarditis, it's quite often if they, you know, if they, um, if you can ask, if you think that's what possibly the pain might be, uh, asking about recent chorizal illnesses, you know, any uh, fevers recently, any joint pain or back pain that might suggest an autoimmune cause, any rashes um, or any GI upset. We see quite, we seem to see quite a lot of pericarditis and myocarditis after some GI upset. Yeah. Um, so any kind of diarrhea or vomiting over the last few days and how their appetite's been and if they have any night sweats. I think that can be quite useful to work in there because at the same time you're ticking those boxes for non-cardiac causes, but also obviously for possibly specific cardiac causes which might be less common. So. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose the other things in the history after you've done a bit of systems review, is obviously just looking and taking a history of cardiac. And you don't need to spell these all out, but you can just say, take a history, think about other cardiac risk factors, such as uh, yeah. diabetes, hypertension, smoking, uh, take a, key, a clear clear family history, understand what meds they're on, any allergies, and then uh, any over-the-counter uh, medication or really social drugs they take. Um, yeah. so I, think yeah. two, I think the two things that uh, in particular that I always try and remind myself to ask um, and sometimes I find myself forgetting you know take your chest pain history in the middle of the night you forget some of these finer nuances but quite important and telling details I try and remind myself are when you ask about family history of sudden of um, coronary artery disease or of ischemic heart disease always remember to ask if it was uh, kind of what age it was it was premature or not so I mean many patients yeah. will have uh, you know grandmothers and grandfathers that died of heart attacks in their 80s and 90s just possibly just you know the natural course but i think it's useful to say if their if their mom died if their dad died if they had a sibling that died 
or had a heart attack, um, how old were they? Were they younger than 50? Were they around 50? Um, because that might point to sort of a, a higher risk factor. Um, and then equally, I find that asking patients specifically about cocaine when asking about drugs is also yeah. helpful um, because they don't obviously, obviously, you know, not everyone is upfront about it and it's comfortable sharing it. So I think it's important to try and tease that out in a sensitive way. So I think I think those are two really good points. I think those are kind of clear five out of five uh, points that would make you marked out as an outstanding candidate. So yeah, try and there are there will be little key tidbits like that that we've talked about already but uh those are two key things so if you can say in your uh, systems you like oh, family history but not just looking for family history of any coronary artery so specific specifically uh premature coronary artery disease uh and any sudden cardiac death uh and then also as part of your social history cocaine and i think you actually go one step further and say because what cocaine does it actually cocaine in the acute phase causes coronary vasospasm so it can cause you to have chest pain but it also in the background causes um, very accelerated coronary artery disease. So you have patients who have uh, really bad heart attacks at the age of 40 or something. Um, so you can say that, you know, understanding specifically if they take cocaine, which can cause both vasospasm and accelerated coronary artery disease. So it just already marks you out as an incredibly impressive candidate. Um, so yeah, that would definitely be a five out of five point for the history. Great. Um, where do we go to next? I think we can go to so then after that I think you take a very uh, thorough history and then you'd say I'd then move to examine the patient um, and then did what, what do you how do you talk through examination then I think so examination I mean again obviously always do ATE even though it's not an emergency but uh, um, in an interview setting that's the easiest way to get the marks and also that it shows the most sort of most concise way to be as comprehensive as you can yeah um, you know. <laughs> Before the ATA, I guess, just a general end of the bed, if they look comfortable or not. But again, so a airway, they'll most likely be painted in this scenario. Yeah. Um, so the be the breathing, I mean, so breathing can be quite helpful here. So, I mean, you can get quite a lot from the breathing. Are they, you know, if they've got a history of heart failure, if the cardiac causes are longstanding, there may be techniques. You want to look at the respiratory rate. Uh, you can also ask for SATs. You just want a set of OBS, essentially. And you can ask the injury that you want a set of OBS when examining them as well to help guide you further. Um, and then look to see if they're using accessory muscles or anything. And the likely thing is that they won't be unless they've got some pulmonary edema or some fluid overload of a result of the long-standing chest pain and um, left ventricular failure from that. Um, and then they're going to see circulation to ask specifically, say you want to know what the blood pressure was. Again, there immediately, even if the patient's not told you they're hypertensive in the past, if they've got a high blood pressure, um, when you're assessing them from an ATE approach, I mean, that can point to, you know, a lot of people have hypertension and don't know it. Mm. And the first time they find out is when they come in with an NSTEMI or a STEMI or uh, with unstable angina. So I think that can be quite helpful. Um, feel for the pulse as well, see is it regular, uh, is it going quickly or is it a normal rate? Um, and then D, I mean, you'd want a glucose as well, I guess, for, and then as well as a GCS, obviously, which I'm also guessing in this scenario would usually be 15. Um, the glucose again can be quite helpful. A lot of people don't know they're diabetic until they come to, um, yeah. you know, into first index sort of chest pain presentation. So that can be quite helpful. And then E, I don't know everything else. I guess I mean, what whatever else you might think of. It's not. I find that the chest pain examination is more is limited in some ways in the sense that you can't tell an awful lot about the you know um, exact diagnosis exactly yeah, about ischemic pain. But there's other things that you can look out for. I mean, uh, if you hear a murmur, for example, when you oscillate, that could help you sort of think about certain diagnoses or if you've um, kind of reduced breath sound on one side, obviously, you know, immediately you'd want to think about 
uh, collapsed lung or pneumothorax, et cetera. Yeah. So. And, I, and I think that's the key thing, isn't it? I think here in the history, here in the examination, you're not going to find too much about ischemic uh, ischemia, um, but you can certainly look and rule out other diagnoses or make them less likely. So you yeah. could say, you know, sometimes I'd get a basic, I'd ask for a basic set of OBS um, and do an aid, use that to help uh, help guide my A to E assessment. Um, and specifically, I'd be assessing assessing their breathing to understand uh, if if they're tachypneic or if they're uh, or if they've got any fluid overload or any unilateral changes which might point towards a respiratory pathology. Uh, and you can mention other things like accessory muscles. Um, and then you can say circulation and the circulatory system. A few things I'd assess which are really important um, are, and here you really think about your paces kind of signs. So, you know, you're looking for their, you can't say, I think you can go one step further, but what I need to say, if you want a five out of five point, you can say, assess their blood pressure, looking for a narrow pulse pressure, which might be indicative of aortic stenosis, assess their peripheral pulses to see if they've got a slow rising, uh, slow rising pulse. And listening to their precordium to see if they're um see if they've got a displaced apex beat, third heart sound, or any or any significant murmurs, um, and assessing their fluid status at the same time. And that I think is all you need to say for the examina uh, ex examination. Uh the other thing I'd say is sorry, is uh radio radial delay or radiofemoral delay. Because uh, that's an important negative in assessing a chest pain patient. Yeah, and you can say, you know, this is to look uh, to, to look for any signs of aortic dissection. Uh, and then I think in your everything else, you can say, um, I would check their glucose and also just do a brief, uh, a brief, any other brief examination, such as an abdominal examination to make sure that um, there isn't another pathology. Um, so, you know, and I, just, yeah, I think that's probably all you need to say uh, for the examination. You don't need to go into great detail for your abdominal examination if you're fairly clear at this point. This is your, this is not going yeah. kind of gastric. Uh, the gastroenterology route so uh yeah yeah i think just you know just offer to listen to the lung bases essentially um and then palpate that abdomen and that should be okay i think just make sure it's soft and non-tender and i think if you just use those words essentially that just shows what you're yeah. thinking of and you're ruling out an acute abdomen which obviously can sometimes present as chest pain and yeah. you don't really find out until later so and yeah otherwise like organomegaly yeah uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> but they're, they're just useful all-encompassing terms to just show that you've got a fairly high level of performing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I, just another comment, I think we talked about radio radial delay. Another thing that you can obviously ask for, if you think, I mean, based on what the scenario is, um, if it does sound like it's an aortic dissection or something, you know, something fairly acute like that, you can obviously always ask for bilateral blood pressures as well, which is nice. Um, and just say that you'd want to see if there was a significant difference between them, um, which can be helpful and just kind of puts you sort of one mark ahead, I guess. So. Yeah. Um, and then I think after that it'd be you talking about your actual investigation.